Welcome to another episode of Psyche of Sales, where we get into the mindset of high performers, salespeople, sales leaders, and any expert we see that relates to communication or sales in some way. Today, I'm joined by founder and director of Enable SC, Jed Wood. Thanks for joining me. Good to be here. And sorry to everyone who has been enjoying the podcast. We've had a small hiatus focusing on a few other things, but we will be committed from now to make sure that we get one every two weeks out to each of you. Uh, And today we are going to focus on the role that sales leaders play in sales performance. So before we do, I want to quickly explain that we've got a a nice bottle of wine here that we're going to be drinking at the end of the day. Uh, Pierre Colin Murray which is a uh, Chassin Montrachet, so one of their better crews that they're going to be working with. Uh, I think they are now in the top three Burgundy producers that exist. They are phenomenal. Uh, thought this would be a good one to bring out. We've got a few things to celebrate. Plus, it's our first podcast in a while, so I thought it was a, a good chance to, to get moving Great with idea. it. So, Jed, it's about the role that sales leaders play when it comes to sales performance. You have spent a number of years working with leaders in general, but especially sales leaders. So where do you think we should start? I think we should start by looking at the skills that salespeople develop before they're a leader, and of those skills, which are the ones that are going to set them up and help them be an effective leader, and maybe what are some of the skills that they need to ease back on or be cautious in how they use. So just those 419 things we should start yeah, with? Yeah, just exactly. Before we do, I'm going to hit you on the spot a little bit here, right? And I know that there's been some studies that are done of the impact of leaders when they get it right. And maybe, you know, we always do with a pitch or something, we always talk about, well, what are you going to get out of this? Whether you're a salesperson who has an interest in becoming a sales leader, or you're a salesperson who just wants to better understand what they can get from their sales leader, or you're an existing sales leader or an exec that runs salespeople or sales teams, what I want you to consider is the impact you play on people in your team. So what was some of that data that came out? So if we look at the average performance of, say, the top 10%, 20% in a sales team versus the rest of the team, we know in complex B2B sales, the top performers typically outsell the, the rest of the team two or threefold. So an effective leader who goes into a team who identifies what are our best people doing that allows them to be the best and then translates that to the rest of the team can easily double the sales within the team. So get 100% uplift. Do you also remember that research that talked about salespeople said that the number one influencer on their career exactly. was their sales leader? Yeah, yeah. It was it was around that 80%, does that sound right? It was, yeah, well, it, it varied because there were a number of studies, but it was always up around 70 or 80%. Yeah. So it, is, yeah, it has a massive impact. And, and I think sometimes we forget that, especially with a lot of our clients that have highly paid salespeople, and there becomes this almost habit of, well, I'm paying you a lot of money, go and do your job. And that's the case, and a number of them will do the job. But I think we've got to understand that if we can drive that extra performance, it's not a 1%, 2%, 5% gap. You can be closing the gap by almost double the sales in a lot of cases, it's right? very significant. And yeah, it puts into question things like, you know, why don't more sales organisations train their sales leaders and their managers? So, so often they just take their best salespeople, make them a manager and expect them to be effective. And yet, you know, as we'll talk about in a moment, the skills that will make them great as leaders can often be quite different, if not in the skills that are used in how they're used. So it, it makes a massive difference. All right, well, let's pause there. Um, before we started, we agreed that Jed would sort of come up with the topics. He's put a lot of work in prior to this, and now we've started talking, I'm already going to take over. So I'm just going to give the listeners a bit of an insight of what it's like working with me. Um, 
Why is that? Why don't organisations, do you think, invest? I've got some theories. I'd love to hear your theories. Okay. I think that the same theory with salespeople, you know, when they talk about this idea, if I pay you a lot of money, you should know what you're doing. I think they pay leaders even more. So the expectation is you should be good at this. You, you should already just know what to do when it comes to that. So that's number one. You know, in some cases, leaders could be making 50%, 100% more than their sales team. We know in some cases, you know, they're making seven figures, some of these sales leaders. And for the outcome they get, sometimes worth that and more. But I feel like that's part of it, which is I'm paying you well, you should know what you're doing, right? I think number two is that I think executives don't think sales is that hard. And so in their mindset, they think, how hard can it be? Just run the sales team, right? And they almost use that as a, a barrier so they don't have to be involved in sales, right? Um, so I think that's number two. I think number three, um, here's a bit of a mirror I'm gonna hold up to a bunch of sales leaders. I think a lot of sales leaders don't want it. I think there's a little bit of ego and arrogance that comes into it. And they sort of think, well, I was a great salesperson. I know what I'm doing. I've read a book on it and so therefore or they've copied their manager themselves and so I think that they don't want it themselves and, and you know, we've had a number of leaders we've come across that haven't wanted to get better haven't wanted to improve and like we say that sales is a profession treated as such I would say sales leadership's the same thing you know a, a very lucrative one at that but you've got to put the time and energy into becoming a strong sales leader and a sales manager and I agree with all of that I think that makes a lot of sense it, it feels to me there's also another piece of the puzzle, which is it's people broadly know what it takes to be a great salesperson. Yep. But I think there's a lot less clarity around what it takes to be a great sales leader. Yeah. Yeah, about what are the right skills, what are the right approaches, what are the right practices that really make a difference. Yeah, this is where we could probably get into a deeper discussion. I don't think too many people do actually understand what it takes to be a great salesperson, because if they did, there'd be more of them, yeah. you know. We're on a call this morning where there was a few high performers and they talked about how there's 10 or 20 at that level, or maybe not even that level, and there's 220 that aren't at that level. Yeah. And so this idea of, you're showing me what to do, yet I still can't do it myself. Whereas I think with sales leaders, there's less people showing you what to do. Yeah. I also think, and I don't mean companies like us, but companies who try and do the same thing as us are to blame. I think that, there's so many sound bites now. There's so many one-liners. You know, that, that post that came out uh, six months ago that I wanted to tear all over LinkedIn and make fun of them, when they said, this is what leaders used to be like 20 years ago. They tell people what to do. They demand things from people. Yeah, all, the, all these negative trades. Yeah. And then said, whereas the new leader facilitates conversations and they ask questions and they have a vision and they drive them towards it. And I thought, what an absolute load of crap <laughs> that there was no great leaders 20 years ago, yeah. right? In fact, you know, look at politically and look at a number of ways. In some respects, there's been some really inspirational leaders 20 years ago that we may lack today, right? There's been some amazing businesses that were from 20 years ago. And how were they, were they all run poorly and suddenly now we've seen the light? So I, I think there is this idea of there's probably less people doing it right as a sales leader and less of a blueprint. I want to say one more thing that the challenge is when you're an executive and you run multiple business lines, I'll start that again. If you're an executive and you're running multiple business lines, you are running the head of each of those business lines. And so whilst you'll have great diversity of thought and personality and business styles, and hopefully you know, gender and sexuality and, and race and all these different things, 
what you'll also end up with is someone who knows how to work with another senior exec. Yeah, Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so you're dealing with executives across different business lines, but different styles of people, but all people who it's their job to, to work well with you. I think back to some of the sales teams I've run versus executive teams that I've run, there is more emotion in a sales team of five than an executive team of 12. Does that make sense? You mean because of maturity? I mean because the role we do is really emotive. Oh, okay. The fact that you're making tens or hundreds of calls, you're getting rejection, yeah. the highs of winning a big deal, the lows of losing a big deal. You know, it's, it's that day-to-day emotion. And I think, you know, at 43, I think I'm pretty good at managing the emotion of what we do and just focusing on what I do every day, yeah. right? Still get excited when we get a win, still get angry when we get a loss. I'd love to say it's disappointment, but it's probably anger. Um, and normally it's at me that I haven't communicated it properly. But I think when you deal with salespeople, there is such emotion that is driven that I think executives don't always understand the challenge of running a team of oh, three, four, yeah. five, 10, 12, 20, 200. And so therefore, you know, it's it sort of put off to the side. I just expect it would be like running 10 investment team professionals who will turn up on time every single day, who will get in the office and do what they're told to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, Whereas this okay. is salespeople, especially some of the good ones, they kind of act like they run their own show. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so they can be really challenging to manage. So, so you've coached a lot of sales leaders to help them understand how they can develop and get better in the role. What are some of the things that you've seen good sales leaders do consistently? Maybe let's start by that's similar to what they did in sales, using similar skills to what they used in sales. Well, I'll start by saying that salespeople will tell you they don't like structure, but salespeople need structure. And right. the best will almost always have more structure. Well, they'll the always best. drive that structure yeah. that way in the best. And, and so I think number one, it, it, it's encouraging structure, right? Encouraging boundaries and structure that help drive levels of consistency because often performance comes from lack of consistency not lack of ability or lack of work ethic or something like that right so i think that's that's probably number one i think number two it's that idea of understanding what drives each of your salespeople. so we talk about situational selling is that everyone's different and we need to be able to shift our style often in the moment depending on who's in front of us what's in front of us and what their drivers are Running a sales team is identical. Okay. You've got a team yeah. of 12 people. There can be a structure for 12, but there's going to be 12 different motivations, right? Because to be great at sales, and I've worked in a number of industries, you've got to wake up every single day almost with a bit of a blank sheet and say, well, who am I contacting today? Who am I targeting today? It's not working on a, as an analyst where these are the stocks I'm going to be looking at. It's not working in a retail store where you start at a certain time and finish at a certain time. There's often an infinite number of possibilities, yeah, which means sure. we can get really lost. You know, so you get some people who are totally lost and they fall into that almost paralysis of not knowing where to start. You then get Good. people who get the analysis paralysis, yeah. where they're doing so much analysis that they're not actually doing any work. So I remember back over 20 years ago, sitting in a car in Bathurst as a door knocker and doing anything I could to not actually get out of the car and knock on people's doors. Like it'd be 35, 40 degrees temperature, or it'd be pouring rain, or it'd be five degrees temperature. And I would literally over-prepare so I didn't have to do it. Now, if I think back to some of the leaders that I had over that period of time, I had some really strong ones, and I had some not so strong ones. I had one that hated door knocking, right? And so he would just relate to me 
about how hard it was. But then I met a guy who actually as a leader used to embrace it. He used to say, look, I understand there's aspects that people don't like, but all you're doing is you're getting out and talking to people. And every time you talk to someone, you're gonna learn something. Okay. So just get out and talk to as many people as you can and you'll come across opportunities. You'll get lucky, you know, you just lock on 10 doors and look how lucky that you're gonna get. And it was just that idea of, of finding one to relate to it and then two, finding the positive, but more so what he did. He actually said, what are you even doing here in the business? Like, what's the point? What's your goal? Yeah. Oh, I want to have things I didn't have as a kid. And he'd actually get to understand it. He goes, if I told you to go and knock on 200 doors every week and you could live any life you want, live wherever you want, you know, all that, and that was what I needed to hear as a young kid. Does that make sense? So he tuned into your drivers. 100%. Which is what great salespeople do as well. A hundred percent. And I think that's yeah. the thing that we're talking about skills here. Yeah. And we talked about this off air that often salespeople become sales leaders and forget some of their skills. Yeah. They suddenly turn into business people. Mm -hmm. I'm a manager now, you yeah. know, and, and, yeah. and it's not that they're necessarily putting their feet up, but they're going to, you know, we had an incident where a few years ago there was a, a salesperson who was probably not even as good a salesperson as someone who is now managing, and then said, I'm gonna come on observations with you once every week now, and I'm gonna watch you, and then I'm gonna to talk to you about your skills, giving him feedback. Have you thought about trying this? This is like the second week in becoming the leader. <laughs> and just sort of missing that whole point of, it's not about what we say, it's about what gets heard, what yeah. gets learned, what gets embedded. So manage the stakeholders. It'd be really hard for this person to suddenly be led by someone who, you know, considered worse at the same job, who's now teaching me how yeah. to do the job. So, okay. so note that. Yeah. What can we do to understand those drivers? What can we do to overcome them and still get the best possible performance from this person? Brilliant. So what, what other skills do you think a salesperson has that sets them up for success as a sales leader if they use those skills effectively? Well, I think a stakeholder analysis. Yeah. But again, too many salespeople don't use stakeholder analysis, don't use that idea of who are my key stakeholders in this world, yeah. right? What are their drivers? How do they differ? How are they the same? And how do I influence those? You know, that idea of we worked with, um, I mean, not say, um, but we worked with a company and I remember some of their sales team saying, oh yeah, there's no point seeing those people because they don't buy this. And I remember thinking, that's your job. Like your job is yeah. to influence their thinking. And the same thing with leaders, you know, this person in the organization doesn't believe in sales. Okay. But we know like <laughs> factually that sales makes an impact. Yeah. So how do we influence them? Let's understand what do they believe in? What is, what's happened that's made them not believe in it? It could be five bad leaders or five people that have never engaged them before and you just do, you're the sixth. Yeah. So they're certainly not going to. So I think that ability to, to, to run a stakeholder analysis, ongoing stakeholder management, and two, your influencing skills. Yeah. Three, yeah. your influencing skills. Finally, it just comes down to questioning, doesn't it? So, and then if you think about the relationship that you need to establish with your boss, are there sales skills that help you with that? Oh, well, you know, this it, it, it's the ability to question, to understand their drivers. What's the one thing? I remember coaching this lady to, into a leadership role. I've talked about it before. I was told I was being hired as a coach, not to placate them, but to put them in a position that next time around, they're in a position to be able to get the role. I got them to, this particular person, to go and meet all the key stakeholders and understand all of their drivers, right? right? And the number one driver was that they're on, to, under such pressure 
to hit target month in, month out, quarter in, quarter out, that they don't have the ability, they, don't, they can't waste a quarter or six months. So our entire coaching piece for this role was to be able to demonstrate that there used to be a poor leader, then there became a strong leader. So this lady had the total ability to see the difference between poor and great leadership and knew exactly what that team needed to continue the same acceleration ah, okay. so and momentum, the remove the risk. Okay, right. And in the interview process said, and I think this is critical, unless you and the executive decided to give the business six to 12 months leeway for a new leader to get their feet, to understand our organization yeah. you know, from there. Because if it didn't work for that person, right? You'd be back six, 12, maybe even 18 months from a momentum perspective. When she got the role, the boss called me up and said, Johnny, we wanted to let you know we've been really impressed with them, impressed with the work you've done. We've decided to offer them the role. I said, can you tell me why? And they said, it's just too big a risk to not go with that. They already understand the business. They understand what, like literally message for message. Does that make sense? But just as likely that person gets into the role, and forgets. Yeah. This is what I'm great at. How do I influence my people? How do I influence the leaders? How do I influence management? You know, the same way we would a client base. Fantastic. So a whole bunch of skills that a great salesperson has developed to become a great salesperson that can help them as a leader. What are some of the, the new skills that they need to develop that maybe um, create a challenge for them? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think I was too busy focusing on how divine that wine was. <laughs> um, the, the new skills, I think, that are, that are challenges. You, you've, the role salespeople can often play in a sales team is, is that of a teller or a talker, yeah, right? Really. And often, even experienced salespeople need to grow up and mature a little bit. You know, my territory is this, my client's this, you're too slow to do approvals. You're too, you know, yeah. that idea of... You know, I think 90% of my business's sales needed a finance approval. And I was the number one approvals in the country on percentage rate. Mm. And I had the fastest approvals in the country, right? And people said, you're so lucky because you work in a territory where people must have good credit and they just get approved really quickly. And I said, yeah, no, the Central Coast is known to be the most <laughs> affluent area of Australia. Um, and it was because I didn't take the exec of the finance company out. I took the underwriting team, yeah. right? I took the head of the underwriting team out. I'd go to boxing events and get boxes at the footy and get these 12 people out there on the beers. But I'd also run sessions with them and say, I really respect what you do. I understand it's important. You tell us what you're looking yeah. for so we don't give you bad deals. So we were great at qualifying and, and we would never call and take the piss. Does that make sense? And I think sometimes that, yeah, look holistically as a business. What role do I play in this bigger piece? And how do I help every other business line? Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? Completely. You know, yeah. if, if you're working in investments, is there a way of saying to the investment team, you guys are doing an amazing job, but often I'm out there meeting consultants. So this, do you ever want to hear information? And like, if I can feed something back, you know, nice. it, again, it's, it's finding ways to influence. So I think yeah. that probably the first thing is just this big picture mindset, right? Second thing is a lot of good salespeople are naturals. And if you become a bit of a natural, you then try and become a bit of a natural leader. And I think it's easier to be a natural salesperson than it is a natural sales leader. Uh. You can be charismatic, 
you know, you, but, yeah. but that doesn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. You need the substance to follow up and follow through. You might be very systematic, but half your people may not be. And so that ability of really getting people on board. So less telling in the room, more asking out there. And then I think one of the other ones is this idea of holding the line and discipline, right? That's really challenging for some yeah, people. Absolutely. Is to actually, you know, obviously give people the chance to be themselves, but how do you actually really hold the line? And as you'd know, and we coach people on this, how do you give feedback unemotionally? How do you, whilst still being empathetic, you know, there's a whole range of things where you can be able to provide feedback with someone and they'll be, you know, I find this to be this, 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 and this, and you have every right to feel that way, right? And that certainly wasn't my intention. Yeah. But I also need to come back to these three things, which are, right, this is the result. This is what you've committed to. And this is for the last three months, what you've actually committed to and delivered. Right, And so if you were in my position today, right, what conversation would you have with you today? You know, that ability to actually pull back and be able to come through with that, which is probably not the conversation you'd necessarily have with a client. Very true. Very true. But you'll often hold you as a salesperson, you'll probably hold yourself accountable. Yep. So. Good ones do. Yeah, the good ones do. So you've already got a sense of the importance of that as you move into the leadership role. Good. Uh, there, there seem to be quite a few activities that a sales leader has to do that maybe a sales professional doesn't have to do. Yep. Um, of those, are there any that you look at and you say they're particularly challenging or um, yeah, hard to master? I'm smiling and laughing a little bit here because most sales leaders don't think they're challenging, but most sales meetings suck, right? Yeah. So running an effective sales meeting over a long period of time consistently that generates an outcome that sets them up for the week, I think that's harder than people think. I completely agree with right? that. I used to run a daily sales meeting with my team. I used to get them in and we would go through the results from the night before and everyone in the room just had to give me a stat. How many appointments did they do the night before? How many presentations? How many sales did they make? And how many leads did they generate? I wanted no opinion. I didn't want a story. I just wanted the numbers and it was all done in front of everybody else. Does that make sense? Because within days you'd find trends in things. So that was number one. Next, we would talk about our sales that were made because we would want to demonstrate that we were winning all the time and talk about how they overcame things because people could learn from each other, Mm. right? Any changes, shift or focus that we wanted to focus on. And then we would get into role plays and training. Right. And then we would, everyone would walk away with a clear takeout. Now I'm not saying you should do that every day. Like I was doing, we we were a direct sales business. I loved it. But once a week talking about business admin, these are the updates, you know, these are things people can read, right? They don't need to be done in a sales meeting. Like be really clear. What's the purpose of this meeting? And a sales meeting, I think, yeah. Someone the other day was telling me they do theirs on a Wednesday afternoon. And I just thought, I don't know, I thought it was a bit of a strange thing. Like the yeah. reason why the Monday morning suited was because it, it got you ready and focused for the week. Like as a sales leader for me, I wanted my salespeople in front of me to begin the week or begin the day yeah. so I could get a measurement of their, their headspace. Exactly. What's their motivation like? Did they have a big weekend and they're not really that focused right now? Are they stressed about something? Are they going on, on holidays in five days and they're not really focused yeah. and prepared? Because I can promise you this, when they leave the office, they're going to be more focused and prepared than they came in. But I think we get so focused on 
external noise or company noise that we forget that that's the job of the sales meeting, right? And they should, one, I think everyone walks in almost, on edge is the wrong word, people are going to hate me for this, but they should feel like they could be challenged at any point. Without a doubt. Right? You know, there should be some accountability in the sales meeting in front of your peers, like we're all buying into, chipping in to make this happen. What are you doing to help us get there, yeah. right? And I think there has to be a skill component that's attached to it, right? right? You know, they bring a fund manager in to talk about it and he talks about this fund, walks out, everyone goes, yep, great. You know, and they're, they're asking questions about stocks. When I run those meetings, great. You're walking to an advisor office right now and you've got to talk to it, go. Well, I haven't had the chance to prepare. Well, you've been talking to this fund for the last three months, three years, right? Go and put them on the spot because that's how you craft it. And I think a a good sales meeting. So I'm using that as an example, right? You've you've ticked a bunch of boxes in my mind. So I I always used to think of great sales meetings as they'd excite or energise the team. They'd align them around goals, activities, what it is we have to do that enable them through some sort of role play or sharing of best practice so that they come out of the meeting fired up and ready to go and feeling empowered to do something yeah. to make a difference. And just clear of what yeah. to do. Does yeah. that make sense? Like, I think we've talked about this before. I used to have this, um, this thing called a My Weekend Review for every Friday meeting. Now, ours was different. We worked on weekends. And so to us, we said Friday was the start of our week because in a weekend, you could do more appointments than you could on a nighttime, right? So we started on a Friday, but think of it as a a Monday you could do, right? And we would ask them to review how many, like, activity points did they do? So how many people did they see? And what was the result? We call it a closure rate, Right. right? Last week versus this week. So just a quick review. And then there was writing. So it was all done by hand. What did I do differently? What could I do better? Yeah. This is 24 years ago I'm talking about, right? How many leads did you generate last week versus this week, yeah. right? What could I do? What did I do differently? What could I do better, yeah. right? And then attitude out of 10, which is oh. funny in some ways because it's kind of like, it's such an ambiguous thing of mm-hmm. someone's attitude. But um, what did I do differently and what could I do better? And for people to just sit there and review and say, I was really flat this week because I was worried about this. This week I'm going to get more focused on this. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to whatever it is. And we actually worked out, we did some data, that if someone's attitude dropped three weeks in a row, the likelihood of them leaving went up by 60%. Right? And I was a pretty laid back. Maybe I wasn't laid back. But the one thing I would be furious at if one of my sales managers didn't spot that trend. Like if someone left who was good, and, and it's in writing that their attitude dropped, yeah. right? I would be furious because you could have stopped it. You could have stepped in. Yeah. I had one of my top salespeople ever was struggling. And I said, he just he was, couldn't sell anymore. I said, come, come with me. And I didn't do many appointments at the time, but I, we jumped in my car, my sports car at the time. We went and did three appointments and we sold three, right? And the commission they'd make was three fifty a sale or something. And this is 20 years ago or something, right? So it wasn't bad money. And I said to him, that commission's yours, right? And we had a beer afterwards and things like this. And so he made over a thousand bucks that pretty much I'm giving him this money, but he went out and he's in the car going, this is just beautiful. Then we went for a couple of drinks. He goes, I'd love to be in your position. Do you know how I got there? I did what you're doing, but I perfected it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and I think that's the idea of sales leaders drive that, yeah. right? Yeah. 
they, they drive the energy and the intent of it. Right. To go a step further, Jed, how do you have your one-on-one coaching sessions? Exactly. The frequency of them? Yeah. How often do we hear, oh, I sit near them, I see them all the time? Yeah. Does that replace a formal coaching session? How can it? Right? Okay. Doing observations, how do you give feedback? Yeah. Like, you know, cognitive bias is a huge one. We don't talk about this much. No. But as a salesperson, right, it doesn't matter what your bias is, right? Your job is to influence and sell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Do you want to quickly explain what cognitive bias is? Oh, it's just, as a sales leader, the classic is, oh, I wouldn't have quite done it like that. I would have done it like this. I, you, have, you develop a preference based on what you think works for you. Yep. Um, and you expect everybody to align with that, whereas we know there are hundred different, you know, thousands of ways of selling and you know, it doesn't really matter what your preferences are. It's all about the person in front of you and how you engage with them. Yeah, and I always take it a bit as well, like what's your natural style? And, and that's what you're more attracted to. So almost, almost comfortable with. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, I get frustration when people take too long to do things or, or explain something. Mm-hmm. Yet I sit in front of people I coach through comms all the time and realize their style is more suited to that, but it actually works. Yeah. And I often talk to people in my team about it and I won't sort of mention exactly, but I don't care what you like. When you're watching a, when you're doing pitch coaching or presentation coaching, you have to take yourself out of it. Yeah. You've actually got to put yourself in the audience, right? And if you can put yourself in the seat of the audience, then give feedback, that's when it's powerful. Not, I don't like the way you walk back and forth because I don't like when speakers do that. Yeah. No, 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 no. In the audience, what's it doing? Yeah. Tell me if it's taking away from the message. Tell me if it's, it's harder to follow. Tell me if it's, I can only see you from half the stage and that's really bothering me when you do that, right? But don't tell me I don't like it. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that's the piece that, that when you're giving feedback, it's such a critical piece. Number one, how you give feedback, but from the place it's coming from, yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's all about the impact you can make. Great. So, so we've talked then about running great meetings. Yep. We've talked about giving feedback. We've talked about the, the importance of the one-on-ones and using them to serve a number of things, help people develop energize them, get them motivated, get them focused on the right things. Are there any other aspects of the sales leadership role where you know, new people perhaps aspiring to it or new, leader, new sales leaders, this is somewhere else where you're going to need to focus and think a little bit about your approach and what best practice looks like? One of the challenges, I think, is around standards. Like you hear top leaders and top sporting leaders especially like if there's been a few podcasts of late i've listened to on um diary of a ceo and their ex uh football coaches yeah. within england right um i've got to google who they are but still like, you know <laughs> who's the ex chelsea coach who he left and came back for nine months and then will he the italian no, no, no. Um, he's an English guy anyway. We'll, we'll, oh. we'll skip forward this and, and okay. Will's going to find out. But I think he played for Chelsea as like a hard man, like really worked his butt off to become one of England's greats. Oh. So Frank Lampard? He, Frank Lampard. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Will, you were too slow. Jed's brain beat the internet, okay? But the thing that Frank Lampard kept talking to is you need to set standards within your team. And when he left, he went and did a few other things and then he came back as a caretaker to help them through. He said it was towards the end of the season, a number of the players were going 
but he said our squad was too big, right? And I thought, I wonder what the squad being too big. And he says, well, most of them knew they weren't going to play. And so they started relaxing. And therefore, those that were in the team didn't need to work uh. as hard to stay in it. And he said it just became this cycle, or, or a downward yeah. cycle. Yeah. And he talked about how challenging that was, because if he knew it was his team for the next three years, which he didn't want, or, yeah, anyway, that's a longer story. Listen to the podcast. It was really cool. <laughs> he wouldn't have allowed that. He would have said, smaller squad we compete for everything, right? And that was the player he was, right? Like yeah. I then went into this this big deep dive and his dad was really hard on him. I and mean, hard, man. Yeah, and all these things. But I think in, in our industries, we're quite weak on standards. We're quite weak on standards of what we accept from salespeople and sales leaders. Like if we say, you must do X amount of appointments a week, there's always so much leeway on it. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be. I'm saying, well, set a number. My theory always was when I ran sales teams, I would never set a number that I wouldn't enforce. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So if, if, if it's 100 a, a month, whatever it is, and people are doing 70 or 80, and you go, oh, it's still a really good number, then make 70 or 80 the number. Exactly. Don't make 100. Because I think if you set a standard of just missing and that's okay, where does it end? Yeah. Right. And the stars probably set themselves a higher number anyway. Yeah. If if the manager says it's seventy or eighty, they're probably going for a hundred themselves. It, exactly. And and I many years ago was a salesperson, as you know, a direct salesperson. Right. I put my wine down for this. Um, and I called myself lazy as a joke. And they did this thing called the Top Gun. And if you'd sell 36 in a month or get 36 installations, you'd become a Top Gun. And it was a huge thing. And they'd have conferences and they'd be on stage and you get Top Gun jacket and you do get interviewed, <laughs> you know, like this kind of thing. It was yeah. like, it was, it was an 18 year old kid, right? And I did one at 19, right? I was 19 years old, so the youngest ever to do one. And then I was the fourth ever to do back to back, right? And I was like the fourth ever to do three Top Guns. And then I was the first to ever do four Top Guns. Now my fourth Top Gun, I did 49 present, no, 43 presentations and sold 39. Wow. A guy on my Top Gun tour did 119 presentations for 37 sales, right? And he said, wow, you know, you don't work that hard. And I said, well, I work hard on making sure I'm really great at what I do. Does that make sense? Mm. But maybe a greater leader would have had me doing 75 appointments and selling 60, 65. Yeah. Does that yeah, make yeah, sense? Completely. And I think I think there's that thing where it comes down to it's, it's what's the standard you're looking at because I would never have allowed someone in my team to do 119 appointments and only sell 30 odd. No. All I see is 80-something opportunities wasting, that yeah. we're wasting. Yeah. Why aren't we in there doing training every morning and getting them better at what they do? And so I think it's just once you agree, these are the four or five critical aspects of what we do, well, we need to set a standard that's not okay to not yeah. be good at those things. Yeah, yeah now they're, they're a great relationship manager. They're just not good at cold calling and things like that. But if they were, would they be better? Yeah. So how do we get better at cold calling? Right? And I'm not trying to make everyone an all-rounder, far from no, it. No. But, but I do see standards getting let yeah. go a lot in sales teams. And I kind of feel like, feel like the more we pay people, the more we let them go. And I guess for a new sales leader, 
in order to work out what's the right standard, you just need to do a bit of benchmarking. Yeah. Look at your team, look at what the best do, look at what the least effective do, and make a judgment call around that, what's realistic, what will achieve the goals we need. I said this to a group once, they had 160 people in their team, and we rated all 160, met all of them, and we met them all twice, right? We set all of them a task over the month, right? And then checked in to see how they went. Yeah. And we checked them on coachability, meaning their openness to want to improve, right? We rated them, which is quite ambiguous, and you probably hated this, on potential. So their ability to grow a business. What was our belief after a couple of sessions? Do we believe they've got the ability to grow, right? And then we just rated on the actual performance. Mm -hmm. So we just put metrics in, low performer, mid performer, high performer. Yeah. And this was really challenging because they told us there was a number that was their break-even number, yet over 50% of people were under the break-even number, right? So we called the break-even number above it by 10%. Anything under that was a low performer, which meant 60% of their team was a low performer, right. and they hated that. And I said, well, how can you be not a low performer if you're below break-even? Like, there just is. Yeah. And for different reasons. Some people are brand new versus some people are just low performers. So then we had mid-performer, we had high performer, right? If you're a high performer and you weren't coachable and you had no potential to grow, it's pretty easy, right? But if you're a high performer, though, right, you can say, okay, well, I'm really happy with that, right? right? There was a couple that were high performers that we believed were culturally pulling people back. And they uh -huh. would say, but they're writing X, Y, Z. Cool you've got to make sure that that number is higher than what it's costing others. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, that's a metric to me, does that make so sense? We, I'm not yeah. saying sack high performers, like you've got to think about that before you do because the high performer doesn't have to be loved, right? I've had high performers I've used as examples, not the rules, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're a mid or low performer and your potential's not huge, or even if it is, but you're not coachable, what's gonna change? Yeah. But what are we waiting for? Does that make sense? Completely. It's like that client who, who gives us a bit of money but asks the world, but you know, one day they could give us something. Like what are we doing to actually change it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I reckon that's a that's a pretty big one, is is actually looking at your team in a sense of their actual performance, their potential performance, and their coachability. Yeah. And we do this with an able like you a bit, right? If you're a low performer and you're not using the platform to get better. What are you doing? Like someone has to have that conversation with them. We, we used to use a model where we would rack and stack the sales team based on sales performance. We'd take the top 10% and the bottom 10% and we'd say to the bottom 10%, if you're in the bottom 10% because you're still learning your role, you've got six months. If you're in the bottom 10% and you've been in the role for some time, You've got three months. Yep. And if you're in the top 10%, help us understand what you do differently so when we lose some of these, we can replace them with people more like you. Yep. And it, it became called a, a model called top grading. Yep. And there's even a book about it these days. But um, yeah, it's, there's, it's all about setting the right standard and what's acceptable and what's not. And, and you know, look, maybe we'll have to rename this podcast about setting the right standards. Um, there's a coach I saw once uh, in rugby league and their team um, was leading 40 nil in a semi-final and then they pulled some of the players off the field and uh, kind of gave up with 
12 to go and they let three tries in or you know right. and so they won 40 to 16 oh, or 44 okay. 16 they didn't, lose, no, they didn't lose the game and so after the game uh channel nine have looked at the the, the victorious dressing room and there's the coach um you know, i don't know if i should just say who it is but i'm mindful of you know they may hear it but is like veins coming from the neck <laughs> screaming at the team and all that's being said by channel nine is how dominant this team is right and so he's screaming at his team and they're just sitting there listening to this guy and they've said it looks like they're the losing dressing room yeah. right yeah, yeah. so they pull him in to be coach the coach to, to be interviewed and they said to him um we saw you looking pretty animated in the dressing room and he says oh i really apologize i didn't know there was a camera in there you weren't meant to see that he goes but you're not apologizing for getting animated and he goes no not at all at the beginning of the year me and the team agreed on a set of standards and those standards weren't met today yeah. and they're the first to admit that and agree to that and i just thought how powerful that is versus kpis yeah. Yeah. right and then you hear frank lambar talking about the idea of standards here he is uh, that will set up for us born in 20th of june 1978 but that idea that you've got to set standards that we buy into and agree to, by the way. And that's the other thing, you know, we talk final mistake maybe that, that leaders make is that they set the standard. The team must also set the standard. It can't be an easy standard, but it does have to be a standard that people do uh, c agree to, commit to. And I still, with my team at the beginning of every year, we'd have an offsite, we'd have an agreement. This is what we've agreed to. And then every month since then, sorry, was it? I was there in Feb with you. <laughs> didn't you all agree to X? Yeah. So yeah. what changed? Did something change and we didn't have a conversation? Because yeah. that'd be rude. You know, you could always keep coming back to this idea of what we've agreed on. And I think that was a pretty powerful way of, and I've never forgotten that. Yeah. And I've worked with a number of teams that are, Simon was one of them, Simon Hare, that, that yeah. you know, that idea of KPIs, people hated, minimum performance standards, people agree to, they buy into. And the, those that don't buy into them, normally don't provide minimum performance. And I don't know about you, but I'm okay to lose them. Absolutely. You know, if, the, uh, if, the, if the standard is a stretch standard that's going to help the business be successful and exceed its goals, then, um, yeah, you have to make those hard decisions sometimes. So, so Jed, I'm going to jump in because I'm wondering, we've probably gone for a little bit old now, Will, is that right? I just want to touch on one piece and then we'll, we'll cover whatever else you want to cover. But you look at an account and you say, does that account have the ability to grow? Is it at risk? Yeah. Will it come backwards? Would it look good on our, you know, masthead? That, that kind of thing, right? You look at accounts that way. And I kind of think that salespeople or people in your team, whilst they're human beings, you almost need to look at it in the same regard of... You think about a standard. Is this person helping us lift our standard? Are they helping us maintain a standard? Or are they bringing our standard down? Yeah. And I've never really thought about it as a, a three-pronged attack, yeah. right? But, but it's kind of true, isn't it? it that is. idea of that I can deal with lower performance if you're going to help us grow a standard, right? I can deal with maybe not being the greatest performer in the world, but if you're maintaining our standard and maintaining that culture, I'm okay with if you are reducing our standard, you're bringing it down or bringing it back, there's very few scenarios where I'd be okay with that. Yeah, 
I, I think that makes complete sense. And you can apply it to so many different aspects of the role as well, can't you? Yep. So I think there's a, a great lesson for, for new leaders, aspiring sales leaders, get really clear on what are the standards that will take this business forward and what do you want to be known for in terms of the standards you set when you become a, a sales leader? I love that saying, what do you want to be known for? What do you, what do you want to be remembered for? Yeah, you know, yeah. I think that's a really powerful statement as well. And I think that that's... I don't know if you've got many more questions, but I think if you, if you think about takeouts, right, if, if you're a sales leader, whether you're 20 years in, two months in, or you're aspiring to be one, it, it is we don't want you all to be the same, but what you do need to do is you need to start by getting an agreement on what are the standards and the goals we've got and the standards that we're, we're, we want for our team. Yeah. What are we willing to accept and what are we not willing to accept, right? Yeah. There needs to be some form of cadence of checking in and measuring that, yeah. right? So we've got to measure every aspect. Here's our goal. This is what we're looking to achieve. This is where we are today. This is how we're going to measure the goal. These are the milestones we love, but this is what we need to do along the way. These are our actions. Yeah. And I just used to do this cadence on a regular basis with sales teams. Every 12 months, you do this, an annual review and annual planning. Right? Every six months, you do quite a large formal review of what needs to change, where are we at, are we in a hole, are we killing it? Because yeah. you know, I think it's just as dangerous to be 100% a target after six months and not adjusting than it is being 10% and not adjusting, right? Every quarter, we do a, a, a formal review or semi-formal for a few hours, and then every single month, you are checking in, are we one twelfth of our way in? Right? Does anything need to change? What's happened? You know, and the amount of times that I'd catch people one month in, I got caught up in admin. Will admin lessen in the next 11 months? No. What will happen? It's going to go up. So we need to still achieve our goals with admin. Yeah, what's going to shift? Yeah. yeah. Finding it really hard to get meetings at the moment. People only just said, okay, great. Is there going to be an instant change where people are just going to want meetings? No. So what are we going to do to get meetings? Right? And I think that idea of getting the cadence right and then bringing it back to with your team, having a look at that idea of who are the personalities, yeah. what are the styles, what's their performance like, what's their coachability like, what's their potential like, and how do I individually and as a team start driving greater performance out of this? Right? And then look at what do I have to do to be able to drive that? Yeah. Yeah. Is it skill-based? Is it accountability? Is it motivation? Yeah. Is it a cuddle? Is it a push? Like, you know, what are the things that are required? Probably a combination of all of them throughout the year. And I think if I can just add one thing around the, the individual perspective on that is once you know what the team has to do, then yeah, I'd really encourage the sales leader to step back and ask themselves a few questions. So the first is... What are the skills I've got that I've developed in the past that will help me achieve that and I can leverage in some way? What are the skills that I need to develop and get better at because there's some aspect of this activity that I'm not yet expert in? And I think there's a, a final piece of the puzzle that can probably help you with that is look back at the leaders that you've worked with in the past and see what you can learn from them. What do you think worked, what didn't work, what did you like, what would suit your style, so that you can overlay that style perspective to the skill piece. Can I overlay one piece on that though? And this is probably one of the biggest errors I've seen leaders make, is that they go from 
one business and run it a certain way, go to the next business and think that that change is going to, like that will work there. Right. Yeah. And that, that every business is going to have different cultures, mm. cultural sensitivities, you know, that the, the, the CEO is going to back different things, you know, they're going to fund different things, fund, I should say, different things. Um, there's going to be different standards, different, standards, yeah. different maturities, yeah. you know, so there's got a, a whole bunch of these things. And I, and I think that, and maybe we're going to do five, 10 minutes at one point, just on the idea of standards. But I think if you're a sales leader out there and your team isn't clear, this isn't a shot at you, but the, your team's not clear of what standards are acceptable and not acceptable, what standards lift others versus hurt others, then you need to set them in play. And if you yeah. don't know how to do it, find someone who does get them in because for whatever it'll cost, which won't be a lot, what it will, what it will gain you will be significant, yeah. right? I think that's a great place to uh, close it out. All right. So... Massive thanks to Jed, as always. I don't know why you and I just don't do one every couple of weeks and then we'll add guests on top of that because it's always a fun combo. Uh, a big thanks to Pierre Colomaray for uh, always <laughs> yeah. providing Good cracking wines. Um, well done there. Uh, and thanks to you as well, to, to Will as well. I, I think finally it's, we're going to get committed to, to providing more content. I think we've, we've said this a number of times, we're committed in, in changing the way the world sells and that, that starts with leaders and I think we all know that. But it, Give us feedback. Tell us what you want to hear. Are they too long? Are they too short? Do you want two minutes? Do you want five minutes? Do you want 20 minutes? But please let us know if you've got guests that you would like to, to be included in this or you yourself think you can add some value. We'd love to talk to you. We have a studio. We're already set up with all the equipment. It's just a matter of finding a time and finding the right bottle of wine. <laughs>